welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Want to own your own company and have a positive impact on the world? Home efficiency represents a great opportunity to do both. Follow a successful model, but pay no franchise fees and no royalties. Just visit homeefficiency.com to learn more about our white label business opportunity and start the next leg of your journey as a climate champion. This is the second part of Mike Barnard's interview with Karsten Tem, PhD, geneticist, and CEO of Pivot Bio. But who are you selling to right now? I mean, is it agribusiness writ large? Is it forward-thinking farmers? Is it, I mean, a million acres is not a small number, so you must be dealing with some of the big, big names in this. You know, for us, the, the business model is to sell directly to farmers and, and farmers of, of any scale and any, any type of, of technology awareness or practice. So anybody who is farming corn in the U.S. is a potential customer for us, for our, our Pivot Bio proven product. Uh, and we've also got products for uh, wheat and sorghum and some of the other, uh, other uh, grains. And, and, and so we try to take a model that allows us to connect directly with farmers. Uh, we leverage a number of independent sales representatives that, that might be selling other types of agricultural products today, whether it's uh, seeds or chemistry or insurance or software and have them represent our product and, and sell it directly to, uh, to farmers. And then we will handle all of the logistics uh, required to make sure our, our microbes show up at just the time the, the, the farmer is ready to, to plant their field. And, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll work together with those independent sales reps to be supportive uh, of the farm throughout the entire growing season and beyond. And, and it's, it's a model that gives us a chance to build relationships for the long term with all of uh, all the farmers we serve. And it allows us to get a lot of very rapid feedback on how we could do even better. And, and I, I think that that's something that is a, a bit unique within agriculture. We found that it allows us to move very quickly. And, uh, and it really is, is rewarding because we get to be there helping that, that farm uh, do better. And, and hopefully it's a, a process we expect to see uh, last uh, across uh, decades and, and lifetimes. Well, yeah, and I'm just thinking about the, the scale of the, the problem and, you know, the scale of the uh, actions we need to take and, you know, how essential the technology you have, um, and I assume you have competitors as well, though I'm not as familiar with them. Um, we'll get to that in a bit. But, you know, scaling that up so that it's applied more globally to that 5 billion hectares of land under agriculture today is not a personal personal match. I mean, you're, you're a startup, you're, you know, doing the work, you're finding customers, but, you know, going from a million acres to 5 billion, you know, to 12.5 billion acres is more than just personal connections. And so it's, it's an interesting set of thinking about how it gets to the whole world. That, that's just the, where, where it is. Your company is 10 years old and, you know, this concept of using these microbes and use, uh, adjusting the biomes and suppressing things which 
turn off nitrogen fixing is relatively new technology. Um, what, what do you think the rate of penetration will be in based your, you know, both in your wildest dreams of getting the entire world working like this and in a more realistic sentiment? You know, how many decades will it take before this is standard practice? Well, we, we haven't seen anything move this quickly in terms of adoption uh, in agriculture before. I think our observation is, uh, is, is there's been a hunger. And in some ways, nitrogen fixation for cereal crops has been the holy grail that, that farmers, scientists, industry, and academia alike have been pursuing for more than 100 years. And, and so it, it makes our job easier. It means that when we engage with a, a potential customer, a new farmer, our job is to, to elevate them as heroes in, in, in the entire agricultural system. And, and, and the trade-off is, is really about how do, we, how do we make sure that they can trust our microbes to be a source of nitrogen and a more dependable and consistent source of nitrogen than the, the fertilizer that they've been relegated to using in the past. And, and, I, and I think that, that being able to get into the data, to be able to talk about the actual way that those microbes are producing nitrogen and supplying it to the plant, it, it makes that, that relationship flourish. And it, it makes it so easy to think about the benefits to how you can rethink managing an acre. And, and so what we've seen is, is this, this rapid pace of adoption. And, and I, I think we've paired that with this business model that allows us to move very quickly to think about how do we rapidly iterate and bring new ideas to the fore and, and into each farm. So we're, we're on a path to be able to very rapidly improve our underlying product, the, the efficiency that the microbes can capture that sugar from the plant and operate those enzymes and share the nitrogen back with the plant. And we fully expect that within the next decade, we'll have built a product that can replace all the nitrogen that our customers are going to need. And, and it's going to be through a successive iteration in the number of products we have in the marketplace. And so I, I, I think the, there's an opportunity for the way that, the way that broad acre row crops are managed and the way we think about getting nitrogen into those crops is entirely different uh, a decade from now. And, and the exciting part for me right now is we've, we've just announced a, a, a Series D financing that it really is, it, it primes the pump for Pivot to be able to execute on that mission, um, to be able to fully replace our delivery vehicle for, for nitrogen so that it's, uh, it's all coming from microbes and, and that the impact we have can be global in scale. We can pick the partners that are going to help us bring our innovation to growers around the world, and, and we can do it very quickly across the coming years. You can tell this isn't a, a business outlet because um, otherwise I would have been talking about the Series D for the first 20 minutes. But congratulations, $430 million U.S. Series D financing is excellent. And a valuation, I think that I saw a valuation statement of $2 billion or something. Congratulations on that for a 10-year-old agro business, uh, agri-tech business. That's astounding. So very well done on your parts. Your, your strategy is, is obviously the right one. Uh, just from those results. And that gets to, I think, where you are versus where you're going to. I'm thinking of the crossing the chasm, you know, technological marketing challenge. You're obviously still in with the innovators right now. 
but you're undoubtedly focused as you move forward, you know, because you're, you're dealing with human beings, dealing, advancing them as heroes, you're creating the people who are telling your story credibly to their peers. And, you know, your, your website reflects that. It's early testimonial marketing days, and it's exactly the right stance to take. As you get into the early adopters, then you get into that problem, that chasm that's described between getting from early adopters to the early majority. And, and that's kind of where I was getting to. So, you know, from your, your, your better position than I am by far in this space to be able to articulate how many decades you think it'll be before we're dealing with the laggards, the 16% of very, very late adopters. Is it 20 years? Is it 50 years? I mean, as you say, it's happening fast, but how fast do you think it'll occur? I think what we've seen is something that it, it moves very quickly, that any way you might segment farms today, whether it's based on farm size or the types of, of technologies they employ, the, the maybe age of, of the farmers or the familiarity or, or willingness to, to classify themselves as early adopters or, or, or laggards, it it really is something that we're seeing excitement across all those types of, uh, of ways you can think about describing uh, our farming community. And, and, and for us, we found that the demand is, is just overwhelming, that we have been in a supply chain limited scenario for all of our commercial years so far. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think it's, it's, it's maybe more a sign where we're simply trying to set ourselves up to have and, and maybe to aspire to have an infinite perspective. What would it mean if, if we were to be always trying to improve beyond what, what we knew or what we were able to deliver last year? And, and I think because of that perspective, we found a, a connection and opportunity to be able to fit onto any farm today. But there's an appeal uh, for just about any, any type of farmer out there today. And... Um, and that's that's exciting to me because it's a little bit different than uh, any experience I've had in in other types of uh, of new business or startup uh, exposure. Well, yeah, we, there's a a parochial view of what farmers are, but you know, farmers are business people who have often these days uh, degrees and advanced degrees in agronomics. They have their internet connected, they're looking at futures markets, they are starting to assert some of their practices based upon future markets and weather projections. They're using precision agricultures with GPS guided tractors. I just don't think that the agricultural industry is understood from the uh, outside to be as technologically savvy as they are. And I'm, I'm from the outside, but at least I appreciate that. So I, I see what you're saying is they're always looking for that advantage and they've been going through a transformation of improved technologies and automation for decades. And one of the factors, factoids that I, I tend to drop into conversations is that something like 95% of people around 1800 in the world were engaged in food, in agriculture or food um, processing or food delivery or food preparation. And now it's about 3%. And that is all on the backs of substantial, you know, wave after wave of automation and improvements and efficiency. And now you've got yours entering into that rapid change mode. You know, so it's, it's an interesting model, uh, but let's explore the challenges. It, Sorry, go ahead. We re- react to that. Well, I, was just, I was just going to add on that and, and reflect it. You know, I, I think we've seen in agriculture that 
when when there is a step change, a monumental leap forward in in a new innovation, it it's something that that's adopted very rapidly. Whether it's I uh, whether it's um, moving from managing the the acre with uh, ox or horse to some of the the mechanized equipment that that became available uh, a little bit more than a hundred years ago, or hybrid seeds, um, you know, and, and and some of the newer innovations since then. Things tend to, to move quickly when there's such a difference in performance between the the former and and the new, and and I, I think we're seeing something similar in our case that we've got an existing delivery vehicle for nitrogen that's about 50% efficient, and we're talking about something that could be entirely perfectly efficient. It can simplify life. It it, it can just make it it so that it's less time spent. Uh, on on doing the same thing, something that is necessary. It's it's the required fuel to make that crop grow. Without it, you can't grow the crop. Mm-hmm. And so, because it's it's a necessary part of the equation, and life gets easier and simpler, and the whole operation gets a lot more efficient. It's it's such a difference in in the historical way of thinking about getting nitrogen to a field that 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 is is a very unique combination compared to other types of uh, innovation that might um, be a little bit more discretionary or more of a a comparable swap for what came before. Yeah, and to be clear, I mean, low tillage agriculture is a substantive operational change. You know, some of the mixed croppings, things that people articulate for uh, agriculture is a substantive operational change. But what you're trying to do is say, especially if you can do this is, you know, pre, pre-coat the seeds or spray at point and it's a fits right into their operations and it eliminates steps in their operations. Um, to your point, how many, this is a factoid I don't know, roughly how many times is, agri, is fertilizer spread on a corn crop from the beginning to the end of a growing cycle? It's a great question. It, I, there's a few opportunities and, and not, Every farm employs every one of those on a given year. But you, you can kind of pick from uh, applying fertilizer in the fall after you just harvested your previous crop, mm-hmm. uh, in the spring before you plant the crop. Uh, at the time of planting, you can come to sometimes put in a small dose of fertilizer just to help the, the, the seed in its first couple weeks of growth. And then you can try to make trips into the field during the growing season with the the trade-off being that every time you put that machinery in the field, you're potentially damaging the crop uh, as you drive over it. And, and so it's, it's a handful of times throughout the year and, and the heavy majority of, uh, of nitrogen is added before the crop is ever planted, because that's the time when you have the best access to the field. Mm-hmm. And then between that time when it's applied uh, while nothing's growing up until the time when the crop needs it, because uh, remember, crops grow, go through growth spurts just like you or me. It's in that intervening time when the snow and the rain begin the action of degrading nitrogen that was delivered in the form of fertilizer. Mm-hmm. So that's the part that we want to uh, eliminate is all those trips and all that time when inorganic nitrogen is, is just sitting there degrading into something that's not useful for the crop. Yeah, I mean, the vision is to turn five trips over 10 months into one trip with the seeds, which is a necessary trip. Or to turn six trips exactly. into, five, into one trip. 
which That's is right. amazing. That's part of the vision of, of precision agriculture is providing exactly what the seed nutrients, the nutrients the seed needs in a tiny dose around the seed at planting. And you're part of that vision, which is tremendous, but it didn't come easy. You haven't told me, you've told me about one of your problems, which is you've been supply limited, which we, I want to explore in depth, but I want to know what you've done is tremendous and difficult. You must've had some real nights when you're just banging your head against a brick wall and facing challenges and, you know, feeling like you're about to fail. Tell me about a couple of the stories of the real hard challenges you overcame to get to this point. Uh, unless it's oh, we like, could, unless, we, unless could, it's, we could be on this topic forever because I know. Know, in some ways that's, that's the, both the beauty and the pain of being um, what I, I consider to be a startup. And, and in some ways it's an extension of, of the academic pursuit that my co-founder and I were on during our graduate uh, years. And so I, I talked about Pivot being about a decade old. My story is actually almost 15 years in the making because uh, my co-founder and I met in, in graduate school at UC Berkeley, UC San Francisco. And what's and the name, just because we keep referring to them without naming them? Alvin Tamzier. Alvin. And then we worked, uh, and our, our uh, academic co-founder, Chris Void, he was the professor whose lab we worked in. Oh. And... And so uh, nitrogen fixation from day one of graduate school, that was that was the core of my project. And I, I have to say this one thing. It's starting to sound like a psychiatric ailment. You just keep saying nitrogen fixation. <laughs> and everybody has a nitrogen fixation. <laughs> there, well, you know, if 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 what we do is set our sights on on such an impossible problem and it it, it means we can can break through, then. And then so be it. Um, Absolutely. You know, but in, in, in some ways, the, the academic pursuit was, was rooted in, in, in maybe the hypothesis that the, the way we could get crops to self-fertilize was to completely reverse engineer the genetics of how microbes do this. Mm -hmm. And then take that, that entire genetic program and put it into the genetics of, of the crop. Just yep. like a, a GMO trait but on steroids, like yep. the kind of thing where it's not just like twice as hard as anything that I, I was done in uh, traits within seeds today, those GMO seeds out there. It's like 10 or a hundred times more sophisticated and complex. And, and so during graduate school, what, what we were able to do is, is come up with the first complete blueprint of, of how microbes uh, carry out this process. And, and, prove it was complete by being able to essentially rebuild the process inside of microbes from scratch to use all combinations of uh, synthetic DNA and, and the, um, the way the microbes wired to do this and, and show we actually understood it well enough so we could set out on uh, this journey to make a transgenic seed with the 100 times more complicated genetic program inside of it. And, and I think the, you know, we talk about some, some days of just long, hard thinking in the company. And, and so Alvin and I sat there so many times scratching our heads saying, man, this seems like, it's like a, a Rube Goldberg machine where we're like over-engineering the solution to this problem. And microbes have done this for millennia and millennia. And maybe, maybe 
that's just where the answer should reside is let's just get back to figuring out how microbes can carry out this, this symbiosis once again. And it's probably a lot easier than trying to, to take uh, one of the most sophisticated things that microbes can do and, and transfer that into a crop as this transgenic trait. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was maybe an aha moment for us that there was the day, a day we were walking to a coffee shop, you know, the, the usual startup story. It's on your way to coffee, all of a sudden a light bulb goes off. And, and for us, it was walking across the, the park and just looking down at the ground and saying, you know, it, it's really there in the roots. It's these microbes. Let's, let's hone in on what they can do and, and take everything we've learned about unraveling the way microbes and plants interact and 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 use that to reawaken this capability and and it really helps set us on the course and the the speed of the path we're on today yeah and, and that's a, a brilliant insight um one of the things that i i try sometimes to explain to people in, who are who've never spent any time looking at biology as opposed to the limited time i have is that every niche in biology is already filled by something you know there's for every micro niche, there's something eking out a tiny existence. The, um, number, the amount of expression that has arisen over a billion years of evolution is extraordinarily diverse and complex. And so when we talk about business ecosystems or technology ecosystems, we have only the coarsest, sparsest framework and the niches are virtually unfulfilled. And so when I, you know, talk to first with strategy for people in technology, I say, you know, you got to understand the entire thing there and find the niche that's not filled and they're big ones instead of going after the end to end, because that makes more sense. You can see it tons and tons of times, you know, a couple of weeks ago, for example, half the internet went down because some widget that filled a niche in the ecosystem went down. <laughs> um, but you're, your aha was, you know, exactly the right thing. I've, I've seen so much over engineering and technology and it, it's just brilliant. You found a way to suppress a certain triggering thing and just get them to be little factories in the soil. What other challenges did you have? I mean, actually, let's just pivot to the supply problem. How much can you manufacture of your product a year? Because that's a traditional problem with biologically oriented solutions, algae-based solutions and stuff, is you run into problems as you try to scale up manufacturing of the substance. Uh, what what volume are you manufacturing every year, and what are your challenge? What are your expectations in terms of scaling challenges? Well, I'll, I'll maybe answer two parts to this. One is is how do we think about scaling in a, a healthy way, and 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 so we've seen. Like as an example, serving uh, millions of acres this this year, it's it's a four x uh, the number of acres that that we did the year previous, and and that year was many fold bigger than the year previous to that. And so, for us, it's it's thinking about the quality, both the quality of the product, the quality of our ability to deliver it. Uh, just that that day when the the farmer wants to plant the field. Uh, the support associated with using our product throughout the year, mm-hmm. and how do we how do we scale the entire organization, and not just the the number of fermenters needed to produce you know what's equivalently baker's yeast, and 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 so a lot of what we think about is it's all about being able to be there to to hold up our end of the bargain that we're we're here to deliver on our promise and support that that farmer, and. And, and then the, the other part that I kind of highlight is 
so I, I, I talked a little bit about being a graduate student in the, the field of synthetic biology. And, and at that time was when some of the, the prominent biofuels companies were, were just getting off the ground, whether it was Amaris or Jivo or Solozyme, the kind of business equations where you would need massive amounts of fermentation to, to be able to produce either ethanol or advanced um, hydrocarbons that, that could replace our, our gasoline uh, sources. And one of the challenges was always, how do you get uh, a microbe to work well in fermenters that are so massive in size? Mm-hmm. Uh, so at Pivot, we're kind of the uh, side of that equation. We're, we're more like a, a microbrewery or a winery or uh, being able to produce something like baker's yeast. It's, it's a process where we use uh, fermentation. We, we brew our microbes. And, and then when they get in the field and they get planted and live in the roots of the, the crop, that's when they do all their magic. So the, the scaling our supply chain, there's a lot of folks out there who, who know how to brew beer or brew uh, other types of, of, of products. And, and those are the kind of partners we want to have as we scale up the kind of the physical manufacturing of our microbes. But our, our challenges go a, a little bit further than that because it's all about the, the quality of the, the relationship that we can have with that each and every farm throughout the entire year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's where you need to be from a business perspective right now. I, I'm just projecting forward, as I always do, to the contextual problem of 12.5 million acres globally, or 12.5 billion acres globally, and you know, thinking about the challenges. But if, if you contextualize it as brewing beer, every country in the world already brews beer. Brewing beer has been done since for 4,000 years or 5,000 years or something, fermenting stuff. It, it's, it's, is it as now, are you, are you sim- oversimplifying the technology by saying it's like brewing beer? Um, or, or is it, you know, there's something, there, is, there, is it a higher tech form of fermentation? Or is it as simple as something which can have a factory in a, in a, a rural area in Botswana and it serves Botswana you know, with people who know how to brew with that level of techno- te- technical skill? It's, it's going to be a lot closer to brewing beer than it is to making uh, pharmaceuticals. And, and, and some of the challenges, there, there's a, a little bit of simplification I do. And that's to say, we want to make sure that after you, you ferment and you brew our microbes, that we can formulate them the right way so that they can sit in a package, um, get shipped from our, our facilities to our customers. They can withstand maybe freezing temperatures from a, a late spring snowstorm or hot temperatures because there's a new heat wave coming through. And so how do we make sure that these microbes are, are living, they're, they're, they're ready to go to work as soon as the, uh, the seeds get planted? And at the same time, that, sh- that doesn't complicate the process much beyond what it takes to brew beer. So I, I think my vision is that there can be a lot of opportunities for partnering with manufacturing in a small scale uh, all around the world. And, and really, it, it's an opportunity to think not just how, how do uh, we at Pivot Bio produce our product, but uh, how can we think about maybe a, a bigger bioeconomy that, that relies on, uh, on distributed fermentation for many types of things that, that we interact with on a daily basis? Hmm. Yeah, no, I it's interesting. By the way, um, you, you're describing your seed, and it's sounding like the microbes are the equivalent of tardigrades. 
uh, able to survive a lot of hostile environments and then flourish when the conditions are right. You know the tardigrade, those little microscopic organisms that look vaguely like gummy bears? Exactly. So, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great analogy. And I, I think for us, it's how do you have that kind of sophistication that, that really is, is just simplified away and you don't have to think about if you are, uh, are you know, that hero of the story, the farmer who, who just wants to get that product, depend on it working and know that what it's doing is, is spoon feeding the plant each and every day. So that's our job at Pivot. How do, we, how do we make all of that happen in a way that, that makes life easier for that farmer? I'll make a comparison um, because I think there's a really interesting one here. It's um, you know, part of my background is I help build the world's most sophisticated outbreak and communicable disease management solution. It's used across Canada, it's used in the Middle East and still got legs to get into a couple of other places. Random part of my background. Um, and so I think about vaccination differently than most people. Um, and so I look at the amazing mRNA uh, vaccines that were produced in 48 hours. Uh, after, you know, the genome was mapped in seven days. The mRNA uh, first trial vaccine was produced in 48 hours, and it's the one that's being shot into our arms. Um, it's stunning advances in tech. But some of those vaccines require uh, extended minus 70 degree storage before um, actual delivery. You know, so minus 70 degrees Celsius cold chain assessment across the life cycle, it just won't work for agriculture. It'll work for a global pandemic. We'll tolerate that even for normal vaccines that have to be stored in refrigerated containers and have a cold chain management all the way through the life cycle so that you know that what gets injected into a person, how efficacious it will likely be, or whether you should just discard the dose as, as, as damaged. But you're trying to get to the tardigrade equivalent of a vaccine where you know, it sits on a shelf in a pill bottle for five years and then somebody takes it and swallows it and they get the COVID vaccine. You know, so just that that sheer durability of your product is interesting to contrast with the vaccine um, that we're experiencing right now, in my, my opinion. Um, sorry, I'm, I wanted to give you a chance. I should give you a chance to respond to that instead of pivoting. <laughs> well, but it's, it's, it's a great, it, 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 it's great to highlight that. And I, and I think that and one of the things I think about similar, you know, how, how do we end up getting vaccine shipped uh, all around the world? And, and uh, that pursuit of a shelf-stable pill that, that could uh, work for some of the places that you don't have minus 70 cold uh, chain storage. Similar for, for Pivot, uh, we touched on it earlier that not all farming systems are the same. There's different approaches, there's different crops, there's different environmental conditions, and there's a lot of different types of technology available. So maybe what, what we've done to design a product that works really well for a corn farmer uh, in Iowa is going to be entirely different than the challenges that are going to be baked into our product when we think about somebody who might be in a, a hotter environment, um, maybe somebody who is farming in Brazil, or when we start thinking about somebody who doesn't have access to the same amount of mechanization, you know, at the far end of the spectrum, somebody who is a smallholder farmer and, and, and places where there aren't good supply chains to be able to get big bulky tons of fertilizer to that smallholder farmer. And so we want to make it so that at the end of the day, all we're doing is replacing tons and tons of bulky chemical fertilizer with baker's yeast you can hold in your hand and, and making it easy for both 
at the you know maybe the two ends of the spectrum, the smallholder grower and uh, the farmer who operates on tens of thousands of acres uh, to be able to benefit from that step forward in performance and, and innovation. And it's a, it's a great vision. You're well down that path. Um, we're, we're closing in. We've got about 10 minutes left in the time slot. Um, and I want to be respectful of your time. Much as, as interesting as this and educational as this has been for me, I've been fascinated by this. But let, let's just kind of start thinking through the wrap up. So we've taught, touched on a lot of different things. So I think, you know, I would like you to kind of go back to that assertion you made about how much CO2 and CO2 equivalent is diverted by the use of a pound. And maybe we can scale those numbers up a bit to the million acres. So one pound, I think, you know, if memory serves, it was uh, three pounds of processing, manufacturing and distribution of the ammonia-based fertilizer and six and a half pounds of follow-on CO2E equivalents in the form of nitrous oxides diverted. So are those, so is that nine and a half pounds? Is that a, an accurate number? Three, six, and then maybe another pound and a half of, oh. of nitrate that, that isn't flowing out of the water. Okay, so it's three and six, um, so nine, nice round number. So nine pounds for a pound, you're diverting 40 pounds per acre. So, you know, that is for 36, 360 pounds of CO2 diverted for an acre for a year. No, 3,600 pounds. So a ton, 1.5 tons, 1.77 tons per, per acre per year. A million acres under management today, which is two and a half X, I think you said, or four X, whatever it was last year. But so a million times one and a half, uh, one and three quarter tons. So that's a million and three quarter tons of CO2 equivalent avoided today when you're barely penetrating the agricultural space. Those numbers, does that math hold up in your mind? Am I, did I get all that right? I, I, I think you're, you're, uh, you're on the right track there. I, I, I'd follow up if we, if we want to get them spot on. That, that, <laughs> yeah, looks, yeah. Uh, that sounds like a, the, the right ballpark. But you know, then extending further, um, assuming we get to that, you know, 50% of all land under agriculture that is in the three major products that you're looking at, you get all the var- sub-variants uh, or somebody else, one of your competitors gets the subset because you're not going to be alone in this space. Going from a million acres to a billion acres is one point one and three quarter billion tons of CO2E avoided per year, which is starting to get into the realm of um, the order of magnitude of the problem, because we are at the gigaton scale of annual emissions of CO2 and CO2E, and agriculture is part of that. And then, you know, getting to the 12.5 billion tons, we're looking at 20 billion tons of CO2E avoidance per year, potentially, just on the three major products you've got with the solution you've got. That's a huge wedge. Well, and, and, and you know, the way I think about it is, so nitrous oxide emissions, it's maybe six, seven percent of annual uh, greenhouse gas emissions um, mm-hmm. on a CO2 uh, equivalent. And, and then that, that CO2 uh, emitted during manufacturing and, uh, and, and transportation, another a couple of percent. So you know, arguably up to 10 percent of uh, our total global emissions are, are directly linked back to, uh, to fertilizer manufacturing um, and, and use. And, and what Pivot can achieve across the next decade is, is to take on 
at least a third of that in, in just those core crops we're focused on and in the world's uh, top uh, global markets. So we've got a very narrow focus on, on being able to, to take on about 3 4% of t- total greenhouse gas emissions uh, across the next decade. Yeah, and that's kind of the numbers I wanted to get to, right? It's like, it's going to take a while for it to expand. It's going to take a while to, you know, nobody's going to give up uh, brewing beer in order to do this, but they can recreate the brewing factory, you know, with people who know how to brew stuff, you know, and the same people who provide brewer's yeast, to your point. You know, so there's a, a whole, there's a very scalable solution using not off the shelf stuff, but familiar technology that we know how to scale and has been scaled globally already. It's just the specific microbes. What's your, do you have um, uh, anything outside of North America right now that you're working directly with and have crops under, under proven 40 or? Well, we've been doing uh, a a lot of, uh, of research um, and, uh, and, and product development work in Argentina uh, across the last few years. And I, and we're uh, on a path to do, um, product development work uh, and, and pre-commercial work in Africa, Europe, and Asia uh, across the, the coming years. So we've, we've been laying a foundation for being able to expand internationally. And, and it really is going to be something that a lot of our, uh, our, our uh, commercial growth is going to be apparent first in, in uh, North America and uh, in a very close succession in, in other parts of the world. Yeah, it's it's got legs, and you know, I'm just thinking, just thinking through the rice paddies I've walked around in Asia um, when I lived there, and then, you know, the flooding of the rice paddies and the and the cycle is very different than the corn or grain cycle we're used to. So I'm thinking there's going to be some interesting challenges in terms of application there, but likely overcomable because you've got you know, it's not going to get washed away by the water. To your point, right? It's bound to the stuff. It's- it's a fascinating time for uh, companies like Pivot Bio because we we have uh, such amazing technologies to be able to understand what happens in the microbiome, how the microbiome and the crop interact. We have the the computational resources to start making sense of of something that I think was underappreciated uh, across the decades and centuries previous. And uh, and what what we're trying to do is take a consistent part of the microbiome, whether it's uh, in a soil-based or a, a flooded situation, and and allow that part of the microbiome to shine once again. Uh, so those microbes that that live in the the roots uh, of rice um, and uh, and and latch onto those roots, uh, despite being in a flooded situation, uh, they've got some real uh, potential power to 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 make that crop uh, a lot more resilient and healthy in the process and. Uh, that's that's a goal of ours, and and something that that uh, dovetails so nicely with everything we're doing for uh, corn, wheat, and some of those other uh, staple crops of the world. Excellent. Yeah, it's it's going to be a fascinating time, and I'll be I'll be following your story, and maybe we'll catch up in a couple of years to see where you are. But um, in the meantime, we are closing out. What I'd like to do is give you the just the pure open-ended opportunity. Clean Technica's audience, Clean Technica's audience is global, about half in the United States, and the rest of the world tunes in. So given a global audience of people who are focused on the future, upon clean technology, upon the low carbon future, uh, economy of the future, what 
closing thoughts of any sort would you like to share with me? I, I'll share. I'll share an opportunity to connect, and 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 connection is is something that that I've got a passion for. That at the end of the day, at most, we're all separated from uh, from a farm by uh, just a couple of generations. Agriculture is is central to uh, being able to help support society, and 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 a lot of what I think we we try to do a pivot in, in serving our heroes is, is so relevant to any industry and any of us as, as, as global stakeholders is we, we've got an opportunity to, to be able to, to elevate agriculture to the next um, step forward. We can help make the entire food system a lot more resilient, uh, help provide a foundation for a growing bioeconomy to produce so many of the products that we use in our daily life. And, and the benefits are, are, they touch on all of our natural resources, soil, air, water, in a way that I, I think is important for many types of industries that are, uh, are being asked to do better and, and think about our long-term resiliency as a planet. So there's many ways to, to engage with Pivot, if it's uh, just helping bring more visibility to our mission. Uh, helping bring more visibility to the the farmers who are are doing better and and producing more with uh, a more consistent way of delivering nitrogen, or some of the ripple effects of of being able to uh, incentivize those behaviors through um, benefits to our our climate and and uh, air and water. So, would love to to engage with anybody who wants to reach out and uh, keep a conversation going. Excellent. Well, uh, everybody, I've been speaking to Karsten Temme, uh, the CEO and co-founder of Pivot Bio, who manufacture microbes that fit into the biome and fix nitrogen to plants' roots, displacing massive amounts of uh, ammonia-based fertilizers and greenhouse gases in the process. Pay attention to them. Uh, the world will be watching and reach out to him, as Karsten says. Karsten, thank you so much for your time today. But thanks immensely. I uh, enjoyed it, and I, I look forward to a follow-up conversation soon. Okay, take care. You too. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.